This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For decades, Palestinians have suffered injustice and oppression at the hands of the violent Israel Zionist regime. There have been many attempts to resolve this conflict peacefully, but negotiations have always fallen through. But what lies at the heart of the Israel-Palestinian conflict? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Baha Hilo. He's a Palestinian rights activist and educator. Since 2013, he has been focused on education on Palestine through an initiative called To Be There, where he focuses on explaining the complicated history of this conflict. Welcome to the show, Baha. How are you? Thank you for uh, having me, Daesh. I'm, I'm really good. What lies at the heart of the Israel-Palestinian conflict? The heart of it is uh, is very simple. Today we are, uh, you know, looking at a situation where uh, Palestine is completely controlled by the Israeli government and the Israeli government is established in order to uphold, let's say, a superior status for those who are born to Jewish families uh, on the expense of uh, Palestinians who remain in uh, in Palestine. Um, there is a lot of confusion that is intentional uh, and created by the propaganda machine of the State of Israel and its allies that makes one think that Israel and Palestine are two separate geographies like Malaysia and Thailand. Right. Well, in fact, uh, Israel and Palestine are two different words that describe the exact same geography, uh, like Germany and Deutschland, for example. Uh, these right. are two different words that describe the exact same geography. That geography is completely controlled by the Israeli government, which upholds superior status for those who are born to Jewish families over the uh, basic rights of the remaining Palestinian uh, population in that geography. The state of Israel is not an apartheid state in the sense that uh, Palestinians are mistreated in one way and Jewish Israelis are treated in a different way. Uh, It's actually, they had to create four different systems. Uh, Each one of those systems uh, has the elements of the crime of apartheid. So Palestinian survivors of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine are subject to a different uh, system, the so-called Israeli Arabs. And then we have Palestinians in Jerusalem who are subject to a different Israeli system. And then you have Palestinians in Gaza who are subject to a third system and Palestinians in the occupied West Bank fourth system. So the state of Israel upholds and maintains like four, not one, but four separate and different uh, apartheid regimes that are maintained and operated every single day. You're talking about four different systems. Can you mm-hmm. explain that a little bit more? Yeah, actually, when uh, you live within it, you, you don't notice that. Right. You think that's the norm. Right. It's normal for me to live in Bethlehem and being denied the freedom of access to Jerusalem based on birth or to Gaza based on birth. So the state of Israel have been making it very, very smooth, you know, because they've been in control of Palestine since... Uh, 1948 for the past 75 years. Um, So the state of Israel controls two very important things. Uh, Every inch of the land. So if you want to come to visit me in Palestine, you have to cross Israeli-controlled borders. And of course, you tell them, hey, I want to go visit my friend Baha, and they're like, no, get out of here. Uh, You know? Uh, So they control every inch of land. By controlling land, they create geographic separations. 
Like I'm 43 years old. I've never been allowed access to Gaza, for example. You know, right. uh, and that's based on on birth. The second thing is that the state of Israel, uh, like let's say, controls birth registrations. Every Palestinian born in Palestine has to end up in the Israeli birth registration system. So that they are born, the state of Israel decides what, which one of those apartheid regimes will be imposed upon you from the day you are born until the day you die. Those things are happening as we speak. You asked about the, uh, the root, the heart of it. Right. Um, the heart of it is like, you know, back in 1897. Uh, there was uh, nearly 200 Jewish nationalists that did not meet in Palestine. They actually met in a town called Basel in Switzerland. And in that meeting, over two days, they decided that they want to establish a Jewish-only state in Palestine, a state for the Jewish people in Palestine. Everything that has been happening from that meeting up until today was to bring down resources in order to create both human and financial resources to bring this project to to existence and to maintain that project. So this project came to existence partially in 1948 and completely in 1967. And what we see is the implementation of that settler colonial project. Paint a picture for me about the injustice and oppression faced by the people of Palestine on a day-to-day basis. You survive whatever reality that is imposed upon you. And the reality imposed upon you is a savage one. Um, in order to establish Jewish homeland in Palestine, there are three things that, continue, that were put in place and continue to happen up until today. Um, one of those things is that you want to establish Jewish homeland in Palestine. There are Palestinian people living there. What to do with the people? The colonizers' mindset have always dealt with indigenous population in three different ways. Genocide, like in Australia, New Zealand, North America, so on. Or exploitation, like what uh, the British savages have done in India or in Sri Lanka, Malaysia, or what the Dutch did in Indonesia. And the third one is ethnic cleansing, what was carried out in the northern frontier of India, in Finland uh, and in Palestine. So Palestinians were subject to a process of ethnic cleansing that has been going on up until today. Like from as early as 1919 until today, there is barely a month that passes without witnessing the removal of a Palestinian family of their land or their property or their homes. Of course, today you see this in, in, in a more stark way, but you don't have the tools to connect it. So when you see a home being demolished, like uh, two days ago uh, in a village called Rwalaja near where I live, three homes were demolished by the state of Israel. Yesterday, uh, the Israeli army went in and murdered 10 Palestinians and injured 120 people in terms of the elimination of the Palestinian people, displacement or murder or so on. So this is one part that produces hardships day in, day out. And we have normalized that, mm. you know? Absolutely. The second uh, form of surviving Israeli oppression has to do with land. If you want to establish Jewish homeland in Palestine, land becomes important. Land is owned by Palestinian families. Right. You remove the family, you steal their land. 
the state of Israel has been like legalizing land theft for the past 75 years. State laws enable the state to steal land from Palestinian families. The army is about making laws to enable the state to steal land from Palestinian families. Even God, even God in the state of Israel, you know, is abused to justify land theft. And this is something weird. Mm-hmm. Because the ideology upheld by the Israeli oppressors are not a religious ideology. Zionism is not a religious ideology. It's a secular ideology. And that's what I want to ask you, um, um, Bihar, because people often paint the the uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict, or or should I say the violent oppression by Zionists on Palestinian Mm -hmm. people, as something that is purely uh, religious or, or racial in nature. Do you agree with this? When people say the state of Israel is Jewish, I say I wish it was. Uh, because like we were given by the Ten Commandments by Jewish prophets, Musa salam, and so on. So I would not have a problem with people who uphold the Ten Commandments of like, life is sacred, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not steal, or any of those things. Uh, when people say the state of Israel is a Jewish state, I understand it in the same way. Uh, as uh, people say, ISIS is the Islamic State, uh, or Hindu nationalists who like go on massacring like uh, people in Gujarat, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, uh, or the KKK, All uh, right. you know, go and lynching black people in the United States and uh, claim that is practicing Christianity. So those people, like if you talk to them, they'll tell them, no, we are Muslim, no, we are Christian, no, we are Hood- like Hindus and. You know, but what happens here is that the ideology of the state of Israel abuses religion to justify criminal behavior. You know, it does not have to be religion. And abuse of religion to justify criminal behavior is something that we witness all over the world. You know, when the Americans went into like Iraq to destroy that like ancient civilization, George Bush came out and like, it's a crusade. Abuse of religion to justify criminal behavior is something that is very popular around the world. It's criminal. It's not religious. Uh, so when people say, like, Israel is a Jewish state, I would like, I wish it was. In the same sense, when they say Israel is democracy, <laughs> you know, like, if Israel is Jewish and Israel is democracy, then why am I, like, upset about it? Right. <laughs> you know? I'm upset, upset about it precisely because it's not, you know. But once again, they go on abusing religion to justify criminal behavior. Western propaganda, they have a tendency of keeping some of the, the, the weird methods alive. One of them being distraction, another one being uh, putting things out of context, another thing being repetition. You make up something and you keep repeating it and bang your viewers and audience on the hand with it until people actually believe it. And then you go on until you believe it yourself. Um, So the state of Israel abuses uh, Jewish faith, Jewish identity in order to justify its criminal behavior towards Palestinians. Now, could it be more about capitalist and imperialist powers trying to maintain their status quo? Power. It's mainly about power. You know, if you want power, you will do it on the expense of the human value of every single person. And whoever stands against you, like, will be eliminated. It's power and disrespect of the life of brown and black people. 
mainly about that. Western powers are obviously racist, you know, because Palestinians have been butchered, you know, over the past 75 years. You know, like within 20 months, between 1947 and 1949, 15,000 of us were butchered by European criminals. The founders of the state of Israel are 70,000 criminals. They are not like 70,000 militants. They are not like Holocaust survivors, you know, or poor people or weak people. No, criminals. So we've been enduring this savagery for 75 years. Russia declares war in Ukraine. Six days. Russia, a superpower on the planet, was completely out of everything. IMF, World Bank, FIFA, even football, you know, tennis. Players were not allowed to play tennis, you know, within six days. Why? Right. Ukrainians are more like white. Palestinians are not. And here's the thing. Many people think that the criminal founders of the state of Israel stole Palestine from Palestinian families to give it to Jewish families. Right. That's not true. So what's the truth? The truth is that every Jewish individual, you know, who lives in Palestine, they don't own the land that the state stole from the Palestinian families. They pay revenues for the Israeli government itself in order to use that. Maybe not paying it directly, but also they pay for it through real estate agencies and so on and so forth. The state of Israel does not trust its Jewish citizens when it comes to this because... Many Palestinians are so desperate to go back to their family's land, right? And they're willing to pay for it. Hmm. So, you know, the state of Israel would not allow a Jewish person to to buy and own the land because they have no guarantee that this Jewish person would sell the land back to a Palestinian. So, no, you are a beneficiary of our crime, but you are not an owner of the outcomes of the crime. On the show with me today is Baha Hilo, a Palestinian rights activist and educator. After the break, we continue discussing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Baha Hilo, a Palestinian rights activist and educator. And we're talking about what lies at the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So, Baha, over the past few decades, especially since um, Israel and Palestine, uh, Palestine started negotiating mm-hmm. with the US involved in the negotiations, there have been many attempts to, quote-unquote, resolve the con- conflict. Mm-hmm. Why have all these attempts at peace failed? Because it's attempt at peace between the criminal and the victim. It's like, I want to steal your car, but then I want to have peace with you. It's like, <laughs> without having to give you the car, I might give you the trunk, you know, and you should be very thankful that I'm allowing you uh, to use the trunk. But then, uh, of course, like, this is nonsense to you. Uh, Palestinian <laughs> negotiators have been, you know, giving up... Uh, on Palestine piece by piece. The United States, what mm-hmm. they have been suggesting is a two-state solution to mm-hmm. the conflict. Yeah. Is this the right approach? No, the two-state solution is the right approach for the oppressors. You know, mm-hmm. The only difference about the, this new, new two-state solution is that in 1993, it had Palestinian approval. Right. You know, 
In 1917, we had the very first two-state solution. We call that the Balfour Declaration. The Balfour Declaration was about promising the assistance of the British government in creating a Jewish state in Palestine while, you know, considering the rights of the indigenous Palestinians who live there. So two states in Palestine, one for Jewish immigrants, one for Palestinians. It didn't work back then. The white papers in the 30s. The partition plan of Palestine is a plan for a two-state solution. Actually, in Palestine, between 1949 and 1967, we had a three-state solution. The Kingdom of Jordan ruled an area that we call today the West Bank of right. Jordan. Mm-hmm. The Kingdom of Egypt ruled, and later on the Republic of Egypt ruled over what we call the Gaza Strip. Yep. And the State of Israel was in control of 78% of Palestine. So we had three-state solution. Like, those are not actual solutions that will bring justice to the Palestinian people and the oppressed people. Those are solutions to make the oppressed Mm -hmm. be thankful to their oppressors. When you actually put those things out of of context, it's very easy to to promote them. It's like, oh, we want peace, we want peace, we want peace. It's like wanting peace between the state of Israel and Palestinians requires identifying who is the oppressor, who's the oppressed, and how can we bring justice to the oppressed. I'm wondering about how, what role do superpowers like the US mm-hmm. play in either resolving or exacerbating this issue? So when it comes to superpowers, like, uh, you know, they are benefiting. The, uh, the United States had a, a racist uh, figure called Henry Kissinger. He, he served as a, a Secretary of State. Uh, Henry Kissinger in a private meeting said once uh, that for every tank we give Israel for free, its neighbors buy five. Only when it comes to the military industry, the, the United States benefits from the militarization and Israel benefits from the militarization. And you are only talking about militarization and weapons industry. Uh, so it's in the best interest of the United States. Now, the previous president of the United States, Barack Obama, before he left office, he committed the federal government to providing the state of Israel with $38 billion of weapons over the next 10 years. He left office. Who took over? Another president called Donald Trump. After he, he was sworn into office, Donald Trump went to the region and he got contracts of more than $300 billion of weapons, you know, to be bought by, you know, the governments of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Qatar, you know. So like when, when you just put what Henry Kissinger said in very few words and Examine it in practice. You see, like, oh, wow. For every $1 billion they give Israel for free, the neighbors buy $5 billion. You know, so they are benefiting. The division of Palestine was uh, very useful for the British uh, savages and the British colonizers, you know. But they sought an opportunity of dominating the region and extract and steal resources from there by implanting some kind of foreign entity within or in the heart of it. So it plays in the best interest 
of the superpowers. Now the inferior powers. The small powers. Um, no, what they do is that they benefit in a different way. Right. So for the government of Singapore, they are one typical government that maintains diplomatic, economy, and military relations with the Israeli oppressor. But at the same time, they also provide support and recognition of the Palestinians. So what do those countries, like every country that has diplomatic relations with the state of Israel, what do they do? They benefit from the problem. Otherwise, they would not do this. Now, I don't care if they do this intentionally or not. When you support two sides of the exact same problem, the outcome of your support is maintaining the problem. So you just go on and maintain the problem because you benefit from it in terms of economy, diplomacy, and military. So it's not only the superpowers. And please be reminded, superpowers have never ever led way to justice. Superpowers have always led the world into destruction, not to justice. Who would lead to justice? You know, smaller countries. Like apartheid South Africa did not collapse because the United States decided like, oh, fascist white people in South Africa, we, uh, it's, it's time for you to stop? Like, no. The literature that you would read about American literature, you would read about their connection with South Africa is that we share the same values. I'm not shocked when I hear like uh, American defenders of Israeli criminal behavior to go on. So like we share similar values with Israel. It's like, yeah, criminal values, racist values, values of supremacy. That's what you share. Where do we go from here? Can there <clears throat> be peace and justice in Palestine? How do we go about it? Of course. You know, and I'm not saying, of course, there will be because I have the crystal ball. <laughs> no, I can't see in the future. Uh, of course, because I come from a place that was ruled by nearly 23 different oppressors in the past six, seven years. Israeli criminals are the latest. They, they are not the only. I do not know where the Roman Empire is. You know, I do not know where the Ottomans are. I do not know where, you know, uh, many countries or civilizations that started well and then turned out to be vicious and criminal and corrupt and so on and so forth. So the state of Israel has the same fate. What happened to the people who benefited from the criminal behavior of those past civilizations? They were assimilated, you know. The Palestinian population is very diverse for one very simple reason. Where the grandchildren and, and of ancestors that, you know, have lived there for centuries. And whether I, I know like many Israelis will feel like, oh, my God, no, you know, our great grandchildren will become Palestinian. And it's like the moment Israeli fascism collapses, it will take three generations for the children and grandchildren to assimilate for that to happen. Israel's criminal behavior has to stop. For that to be allowed, Israel's apartheid has to come to an end. So I do believe in, uh, in a future where the different uh, Palestinian groups will, you know, continue to coexist, you know. But for that to start, like, we need to look beyond Israeli apartheid and fascism. Also, there is another thing. Palestinians were expelled all over the world. We exist everywhere. Uh, we're not allowed to practice freedom and be mm -hmm. home, but we are everywhere. Right. Like in Berlin, for example, 
You know, there are many Palestinians who are in Berlin, Germany. They walk on the same street as Jewish Israelis. You know, there are Jewish Israelis in Germany. There are Palestinians in uh, Berlin, Germany. You know, why you don't see any conflict between them there? It's very simple. They both stand equal before the same law. So why is it possible in Berlin, Germany? And I say Germany because Germany is famous for the extermination of six million Jewish people, right? And a Jewish man can walk the streets in Germany with all respect. Right. So it is possible elsewhere, but for elsewhere, it had a different element, justice. You know? Imagine having to ask a Jewish person to go to Germany where, you know, the fascist norms of Germany are still in place. What would a peaceful uh, democratic part Palestine look like? Could we see a, a sort of a Palestine um, that is democratic, a, a secular state where um, the people of Palestine, the Arabs, um, Jews and others could live alongside each other just like they did before the British occupation after the First World War? You say Arab and Jews if they are opposites. You know there are Arab Jews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <know. laughs> the state of Israel succeeded in eliminating right. them because, like, imagine you being an Arab Jew. Mm-hmm. The state of Israel induced this thing in your mind that uh, there is a conflict between Arabs and Jews. So you have to choose, you know. Of course, like, if you have several identities and you have to choose one of them, your choice will be wrong. Like, I have to choose between being an Arab and a Palestinian. It's like, whatever I choose is wrong. You have to choose between being Irish or American. You know, whatever I choose is wrong. Right. African and American. It's like, no. The racist mind cannot get the multiple cross-generational identities, you know. But it's okay, because the racist mind is stupid, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Um, so, how would it look like? Um First of all, like uh, we have to speak about uh, implementing the rights of the uh, Palestinian people. Those rights are several. You know, first of all, they have to be allowed to go home safely. Second of all, like any oppressed population, uh, the oppressed are entitled to reparations and compensations. Those who are responsible for this atrocity have to be held accountable. Racialist societies. Uh, always were trained to uh, think that equality for the privileged will always feel like oppression. Now, we need apartheid in South Africa because if we give blacks their political rights, they will have an apartheid regime that will destroy us. We have to keep the slaves because if we give them freedom, they will enslave us. My favorite is the norm to justify denying women the right to vote. We should not allow them the right to vote because they will force us to wear dresses. You know, that was like one of those norms. (laughs) So uh, in the context of Palestine, those things are, uh, you know, possible. But Israelis are made to believe, Jewish Israelis are made to believe that the moment Palestinians return, they will eat us or they will, you know, um, throw us into the sea, wipe Israel off the map. These are the main popular fears. Uh, but once again, where do these fears come from? Like, because the Israelis know exactly. They met 14 million Palestinians and they asked them, what will you do when you come home? And they told you that they will do one, two, three. Or you just decided 
that they will do exactly what your your ancestors have done against them. Mm-hmm. The fear that is happening does not come from me. It comes from the ancestors and the founders of the state of Israel. It comes from the criminal behavior that was imposed upon the Palestinian people. Palestine was wiped off the map. You look at the world map in 1947, you see Palestine there. So we know now all the ways that prevent us from coming to peace and justice Mm -hmm. in Palestine. So we need to try the one thing that left. Before we wrap this conversation up, would you have a final message or some final thoughts for us, especially with regard to what the international community, especially working class people, how can they lend their support to the Palestinian cause? Uh, first of all, like uh, think of the Palestinian survivors of Israeli oppression as survivors of Israeli oppression. Like we are not, we are born subject to oppression. We will die subject to, to oppression. Just like, um, just like people are made to think of slavery as the, the, those two seconds that went on for four hundred years and Lincoln came and stopped it. They were blind to the savagery of you know slavery you are witnessing the savagery that palestinians have been subject to and you are also many people go on normalizing this uh, evil norm of blaming the victim mm-hmm. you know so many people hold palestinians responsible right. for the criminal behavior they've been subject to because blaming the victim is still normalized we are not of a higher nor of an inferior value than anybody else Second thing, be reminded, you know, everyone is born free and equal. The precondition for my freedom and equality is not my behavior. My very existence, that is the precondition. So learn, be aware, and uh, fight oppression where you see it, wherever you see it. Do not support Israeli businesses. Like, I would be happy if people support my oppressor because he's my oppressor. But when you support my oppressor despite of his oppression of the Palestinian people, then that puts you on an inferior level. So just please be aware that do not be dragged into making business with Israeli firms and Israeli oppressors despite of their criminal behavior towards the Palestinian people. Just keep that in mind. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. That was Baha Hilo, a Palestinian rights activist and educator. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We are available on the BFM app, bfm.my, but you can also subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to search Today I Learned Podcasts. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.